My research plan is to look at how different types of development aid basically their effectiveness at creating agency for women. So the idea behind agency is it's a step farther than empowerment. Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you nothing. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave. And today, you are going to hear the story of Marissa Rudolph. Marissa's grandparents are farmers in North and South Dakota, and when she was growing up, she never expected that one day she too would come to love farming and see the impact that it can have in people's lives. Marissa graduated in June 2018, majored in environmental science and political science, and she was one of eight winners of the Fulbright Scholarship. So she will be continuing her research in Ghana in September. While in college, she ran cross-country, served as a department coordinator for the Santa Clara Community Action Program, or SCAP, worked for the Food and Agribusiness Institute, and she was a global social benefit fellow through the Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship, where she worked with a social enterprise called Farmer Line in Ghana. One key takeaway that I had from this conversation was to trust the process. Not everyone knows what they want to do when they're in college, and even when you're out of college, you might still have dreams or aspirations that are outside of your current sphere of opportunities. But through reaching out to people in your life and being willing to pivot when you find a new idea or opportunity, you can slowly change your focus to something that really excites you. And on this interview, you're going to hear Marissa's journey to finding herself in college and finding something that she's really passionate about. She's a pretty incredible student and is going to continue to do great things in the world this next year in Ghana. Thanks for listening as always and enjoy the interview. I'd love to start out by asking just how did you find Santa Clara and why'd you choose to come here? Um, So one of my mentors in high school told me about Santa Clara. I'd actually never heard of it before my senior year of high school um, because I'm from Colorado. And he told me that this school does really cool things with sustainability, that they have really good opportunities for academic scholarship and that Mm. I should check it out. So I applied and then it just kind of worked out and I talked to the coaches here on the cross country team and they said um, I could come and run, which was like always had been a dream for me. And I never really thought it could be a reality. And I came and talked to them and they're like, yeah, come run. And I was so it all just kind of fell into place. Yeah. So were you already interested in sustainability then coming into college? Yeah, I think it's something that's always been in my mind. I actually came in as an engineering major. (laughs) with the idea that I would be doing something with sustainability Mm -hmm. and then I just ended up switching to environmental science instead Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. poli-sci too, Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah. And how was it, how was, how was your transition into college and especially with the, with the running too, like did that, was that difficult to balance ever with school and? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, definitely yes. Being on 
D1 team here is basically like having a full-time job. The expectations you have for being at practice six times a week, doing work on your own, spending a bunch of time with the team, team meetings, uh, going to bed early enough that you can wake up and actually work is really hard to balance academics and then also a social scene. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like you create a really good community. Mm -hmm. So when I came to Santa Clara, we actually come a month early for preseason. Mm -hmm. And so I (laughs) flew out here from Colorado by myself with two suitcases, showed up at the airport and a teammate I had never met before was waiting there to pick me up. Mm -hmm. And so it was like an immediate sense of community, Mm -hmm. which was really helpful because I think the first few years here I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to like fit within the social scene and how I was going to juggle all of this and like having the team as like a constant was super nice and then also it's really good because everyone on the team is academically motivated as well as sports motivated so everyone pushes each other constantly to be doing um, good work we're always studying. We always have um, people being like, I'm on the third floor of the lib, come join me. And so it's, despite it being difficult and time consuming, it's definitely worth it. And I think made me a better student and just a better person in general. (laughs) What type of opportunities did you look for outside of that to kind of engage your interest in sustainability? And maybe you're starting with your first couple of years. Right. So actually, the reason I ended up switching from engineering to environmental science was my CNI was with uh, Professor John Farnsworth, and it was Nature and Imagination, and it was the first class I really loved here, and I got along with him super well. I kept on going and talking to him, and eventually he convinced me to switch over just because I was not feeling challenged enough with just kind of the basic science classes. I wanted something that pushed my brain to think in different ways. Um, And that's something that that class offered. And so that's when I ended up switching my major. And then it all just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I ended up getting involved in Green Club. Sean Riley and I led Green Club my sophomore year. And he was like someone who really introduced me to sustainability on campus and all the different forms it could take in research and just in community building. And then I continued doing that through SCAP um, by leading the environmental justice organization called Be Legit my junior year. Mm -hmm. And that was more of like a social justice oriented sustainability opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, what was that? SCAP experience like? like what you learned from it or what types of events and projects were you working on? So SCAP was really cool. One, informing a different type of community that uh, is also motivating and inspiring, but also because it really teaches you a language about social justice. Uh, you talk a lot about within our like all staff meetings, we talk a lot about privilege and each meeting we're educating ourselves about a new issue or something that's coming up in the news and It's just a group of people that are doing whatever they can outside of their normal commitments to educate themselves about what's going on in the world and the best way to respond to it. Um, And so actually, when I was the leader of Be Legit, I coordinated a lot with um, Kieran Freeman, who was the PC for Labor Action Committee. And we ended up kind of conjoining our groups 
And we started this campaign called Be More, which was basically challenging Santa Clara's administration to step up to its Jesuit values in all senses of the word, meaning like how they look at their investments and how they respond to certain incidents and things like that. Um, so we ran a lot of like awareness campaigns. It was a lot of educating other students about these issues and spending a lot of time educating myself so I could spend the time to explain something well and understandably about environmental justice and how it works as like a, on a macro scale and a micro scale. So I feel like it developed a lot of different leadership Mm-hmm. aspects um and was like really crucial for that but i think it also made me realize that at the end of the day full-time activism is not something i want to do mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. fairly exhausting um extremely important but i think i have a my strengths aren't necessarily well suited to be the leader of an activist campaign And so because of that, I decided to apply for the department coordinator position this year um, in SCAP. And that's been much more about mentoring the people who are leading like Be Legit and Feminists for Justice and all of those empowerment organizations. And that's been a lot more rewarding and less exhausting for me because it's more about individual relationships and helping people how I can Mm. rather than trying to just like push a message out to as many people as possible. Mm. How did you get involved with the GSBF fellowship? I took my honors 20 with Keith Warner sophomore year that's uh, technology and social justice for the developing world. It was One of the harder classes I've taken, especially as a sophomore, it really kind of pushed me. Um, But I love hard things. Um, And I really, really was attracted to this idea of social enterprise and it as a different way of looking at activism, something that's less of like a campaign and just trying to force change people's habits to actually like technological solutions that are adapted to cultures and places and people. Um, And so that was super attractive idea to me. And so I remained in touch with Keith throughout that year and throughout my junior year. And I emailed him and he was like, let's go for a walk. And so we went for a walk and just talked about GSBF and what it meant and how it contributes to this greater idea of educating yourself for others and so I applied and got it and Mm -hmm. now we're here Mm -hmm. and how did you I guess how did your interests kind of change or work through the the project you did and then can you if you could talk a little bit about what that project was yeah the long story uh is Between my freshman and sophomore year, I was supposed to go to El Salvador, but then that got canceled, like, last minute. So I was scrambling to find an internship, and I ended up working for the Food and Agribusiness Institute and doing research for them on food waste. And that's the first time I really started working in agriculture, because a lot of my family is, like, not my immediate family, but, like, my grandparents and my great-grandparents 
we're all farmers in North Dakota and South Dakota. And so I'd always kind of seen that as like, oh, that's kind of antiquated. That's the old way of doing things. I'm going to do something new. And then I end up being a research assistant for agriculture. And I was like, woo, <laughs> here we are. Um, but I really ended up kind of falling in love with the challenges and complexity that come with food systems. So I focused on that on my honors 20 class and the project you do for that. And then I talked to Keith about wanting to continue that focus in GSBF. So he placed me with this company called Farmer Line, which is based in Ghana. And it's a agricultural tech company that has two main business streams. One of them is sending out SMS voice messages to farmers um, about information, whether services, uh, market info, all that kind of stuff. And then it also is running a bunch of pilots to increase the livelihoods of these farmers, such as um, providing loans that are based on a harvest schedule for inputs like fertilizers and things like that, because usually banks don't run them on um, harvest schedules, which makes it harder for farmers to pay back, makes them a riskier investment. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so they're running a lot of pilots like that. But then they also had a business-to-business uh, -business stream, which is where they made most of their money from. And they have this survey platform that they would license out to these businesses uh, for various purposes. Um, they actually created this whole survey for the Ghanaian government and they use it to um, survey the entire agricultural population or at least those they can access for better information on how the government can help farmers. Um, Hershey Company actually contracted Farmerline to um, create an information service about fair trade cocoa beans. Um, so our project was to go and we were based in Kumasi, which is the agricultural center of Ghana. And we traveled around and we talked to a bunch of farmers. And then we went to Accra and we talked to a bunch of these business partners. And we tried to figure out how to connect the social impact that Farmerline has on farmers with what they're doing for businesses. So we came up with these five case studies that really explained how these different survey platforms and the way that these businesses were using it was actually benefiting the farmers because there hadn't been a connection between the two business streams. Um, so that was super interesting mm -hmm. and fun and challenging. And yeah. yeah what was the biggest thing you learned like while you were there or like one experience that you really vividly remember we went to this one community uh where usually we would go and farmer line had set up a meeting that one person in the community was supposed to organize so they're supposed to get everyone together and then they'd give a pitch and then we'd sign people up for the services and then we do our interviews and this one community we show up to we go into the church and it's this massive meeting there's like 300 people there which is absolutely insane we'd usually get like 10 to 40 um and then there's also multiple chiefs from different tribes <laughs> there um there was multiple cocoa board members which are from like the national cocoa board there's extension officers so like agricultural extension networks are where they teach farmers how to do better agricultural practices and stuff. Um, so there's all of these people here. And I was like, what is going on? This is wild. At one point, one of the chiefs gets up and all this is happening in Chui, the like native language. So I'm getting this half translated by one of my coworkers. But 
he gets up and he thanks one of the extension officers, who is a woman, for doing what she does because it is very rare to see a woman in a position in power. Um, so he like thanked her for being an example and then talked about how teenage pregnancy is a huge issue in the village and how um, the girls in the community aren't being educated and all of these things that are happening. This is the first time that gender really ever came up in our project because it wasn't a gender specific project. And I was like, whoa, this is something I haven't really thought that much about. But once I thought more about the different interactions we'd had, I kind of saw it coming out of the woodworks more, kind of this underlying inequity. And then when we were driving back, um, my coworker, Lily, was talking to me and she was saying, we as a social enterprise have so much power um, within this community, within all of these communities to make a difference. Why aren't we doing something more about these gender issues? Like, why can't we integrate something in the farmer services team that, that addresses these issues as well as the, the like larger smallholder farmer like systemic issues? And I was like, yeah, why don't we? (laughs) So I ended up going back to the headquarters and told my partner, Ben and Caleb, like, y'all work on our project. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out how we're going to include gender in the next pilot that Farmer Line Mm -hmm. runs. Um, So I spent a couple of days researching this, putting together a pitch. Then I went up to the CEO and was like, I have a pitch for you. I want to talk to you. And so I sat down with him and the head of the farmer services team and had this little PowerPoint and was like, let me explain to you how you can make gender a focus in your next pilot. And he was like, wow, that's actually a really compelling argument. And we'll definitely do it. I don't think they did because they're a startup and they have a lot of crazy things Mm -hmm. going. But then that kind of ended up as a basis for my Fulbright application. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm actually going back and will hopefully be able to Mm -hmm. implement that pilot myself. So, yeah. So how is gender being included in the pilot? The idea was that in order to reach women, you have to make a more concerted effort because there are a lot of things holding them back, whether or not they can't come to the meetings because they have to be looking after their children or they have to be out in the field working or there's all of these issues. Or maybe they don't even have a phone so they can't get the voicemail services or they can't use that as a way of funding, getting fertilizers or input. So there's basically more restrictions on their ability to have access to what Farmerline is offering. So my thought process was, because they were doing a new pilot on um, irrigation, mm-hmm. and so I looked up how many women, in for vegetable farmers, mm-hmm. and I looked up how many women in Ghana, or what proportion of them are vegetable farmers. And so it was um, 25%. So I said, Farmerline needs to make an effort to make sure that 25% of the recipients of this new pilot are women. And to do that, you need to go to women's cooperatives. You need to hold meetings that are based on a woman's farm. Like you need to make more of an effort to do that. And the argument was that if you take these steps now, then you'll have a larger client pool to pull from in the long run. So Yeah, cool. And then, how I guess you're you're graduating in a couple of weeks, so um, I know you got the Fulbright, which is incredible. But do you know at all what you're going to be 
doing after graduation or what that project is going to look like when it's going to start? Yeah, so I'm actually moving back to Ghana in September. Hmm. As of right now, my research plan is to look at how different types of development aid basically their effectiveness at creating agency for women. So the idea behind agency is it's a step farther than empowerment in that it creates an environment for women where they feel they're autonomous, they have confidence, they're able to access resources by themselves and not rely on their husbands or other men. They're able to participate in leadership roles. So there's it's kind of like a higher level of empowerment. Because I wrote my thesis kind of as a precursor to this, my senior thesis, and it kind of argued that empowerment is a simplistic way of looking that, at that, and that's the current development paradigm is to be like, let's hand out a bunch of microloans and expect that to change the way structurally that gender is perceived in society. And I just think that's not effective. I mean, we kind of have proof that that's not effective. For example, West African agriculture, like the livelihoods of smallholder farmers have increased dramatically over the last 50 years, but the gender disparities are still as stark as they've ever been. We're not including enough thought into how to change structures to include women into them. And I mean, we're facing the same types of issues in the U.S. too. Um, So the idea is to study different types of development aid and how effective they are at creating that structural change Hmm. in the way that women are able to participate in society. Hmm. Do you think that like climate change, sustainability, farming, women's empowerment, do you think they're all kind of related or that there are solutions that address multiple of those? I guess just like just looking forward into the future, sometimes those problems can seem so big and they can be like paralyzing and you just don't know like what any one person can do. You know, so how do you how do you kind of think about all those different problems and how they affect each other and what you want to do about it? That's a big question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so yes, they're absolutely a hundred percent related. Um three billion people on this planet are smallholder farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, smallholder farmers meaning someone who has four hectares of hand, of land or less. Um, and most of the food that we eat comes from those farmers. If you've ever had chocolate, it's come through the hands of a smallholder farmer. When you're talking about climate change, you know, there's this whole idea of intersectionality where multiple levels of oppression stack on each other. And so climate change disproportionately hurts the poor. Women are disproportionately more poor than men, especially in developing countries. And so the less ability she has to contribute to um, or like change her own life um, makes the issues of climate change impact her more. So she may have less of an ability to move her family if for some reason her land is flooded, or if there's extreme drought, like she has less resources to change that. So she's disproportionately affected by climate change. I think that's something kind of talking about SCAP and activism. And as we were in the future, I kind of realized that at the end of the day, what got me away from engineering and into environmental science and poli sci was that environmental issues are human issues. It's all of these things that are happening are going to hurt people. Um, and that's really how you have to humanize and look at climate change because it's such a 
huge, huge issue when we can talk about coral reefs and acidification of oceans and all of these things. But at the end of the day, it's just hurting people. Um, and so looking at climate change in that way is how I found it most energizing and less hopeless to like deal with these issues because there are so many interesting and innovative things happening that are working to help people who are poor or living in developing countries. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, your question is something I think about a lot because all of these issues standing on their own are difficult. You know, there's a ton of food insecurity. There's a ton of issues with climate change. There's a ton of issues with gender and they absolutely combine. And how do you handle them all at once? And it's totally overwhelming. Um, but I think all you really can do is find something that you're passionate about and focus in and do everything you can to contribute to that in a meaningful and thoughtful way. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. Yeah. So first of all, um, I know you talked to some about Ghana, but is there any favorite place that you've traveled, Ghana or otherwise? Oh, that's a good question. I actually went to Paris last spring break mm -hmm. by myself for six days, and it was fabulous. Mm -hmm. I spent so much time in art museums and just like wandering around and talking to super interesting strangers. Um, and it was like, kind of like being here surrounded in all of these kind of doom and gloom environmental mm -hmm. situations. It was just like really amazing to go to this place just full of beauty mm -hmm. and immerse myself in that in something totally different. Um, and just thought provoking in different ways. So yeah, yeah. Um, what advice would you give to a first-year student starting out at Santa Clara? Um, I think the biggest advice I would say is go with your gut. Like, if you take a class and you really love it, pursue it more. Like, just because, like, because when I switched my majors, my parents were absolutely like, what are you going to do with an environmental science degree? <laughs> like, engineering such a good track. And I was like, oh, I know. But... It, if you're truly passionate about something, you can you'll make it work. Um, so like follow your gut, follow what you love, and like continue to pursue that in every way you can, um, because that's what will lead you to true success. Mm -hmm. If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I would probably say to. Um, Think about how everyone has their own story and take a moment to listen to it um, with understanding rather than defensiveness. Yeah, and finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? Oh, ideal Saturday would be to wake up early, have some coffee, read, go for a hike with some friends, um, have a yummy lunch. Uh, just like hang out outside and like enjoy uh, people I love and like go to bed at like 10.30 <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this yeah. thanks Gavin thank you so much for listening to the show today you can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app you can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts and you can like the Facebook page special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music thank you for listening and have a nice day